Chapter 8 of Seven Wives and Seven Prisons, or Experiences in the Life of a Matrimonial Maniac, A True Story. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Seven Wives and Seven Prisons, or Experiences in the Life of a Matrimonial Maniac. A True Story by L. A. Abbott Chapter 8 On the Keen Scent Good Resolutions Enjoying Freedom Going After a Crazy Man The Old Tempter in a New Form Mary Gordon My New Cousin Engaged Again Visit to the Old Folks at Home Another Marriage Starting for Ohio Change of Plans domestic quarrels, unpleasant stories about Mary, bound over to keep the peace, another arrest for bigamy, a sudden flight, secreted three weeks in a farmhouse, recaptured at Concord, escaped once more, traveling on the Underground Railroad, in Canada. It would seem as if, by this time I had had enough of miscellaneous marrying and the imprisonment that almost invariably followed. I had told Governor Price when I first implored him for pardon that if he would release me I would begin a new life and endeavor to be in all respects a better man. I honestly meant to make every effort to be so, and on my stay to New York I made numberless vows for my own future good behavior. I bound myself over, as it were, to keep the pace, my own peace, and quiet especially, and, is, and became my own surety. That I could not have had a poorer bondsman at subsequent events proved to my sorrow. But I started fairly, and meant to let liquor alone, to attend strictly to my medical business, which I always managed to make profitable, and above all to have nothing to do with women in the love-making or matrimonial way. With those good resolutions I arrived in New York and went to my old hotel in Cortland Street, where I was well known and was well received. My trunk, which I had left there sixteen months before, was safe, and I had a good suit of clothes on my back, the clothes I took off when I went to prison in Trenton, and which were returned to me when I came away. I went to a friend who loaned me some money, and I remained two or three days in town to try my new-found freedom going about the city, visiting places of amusement, enjoying myself very much, and keeping, so far, the, re the good resolutions I had formed. From New York I went to Troy, and at the hotel where I stopped I became acquainted with a woman who told me that her husband was in the insane asylum at Brattleboro, Vermont. She was going to see him, and if he was fit to be removed, she proposed to take him home with her. I told her of the success I had had in taking care of two men at Newbury and Montgomery, and how I had traveled about the country with them, and with the most beneficial results to my patients. She was much interested, inquired into the particulars, and finally thought the plan would be a favorable one for her husband. She asked me to go with her to see him, and said that if he was in condition to travel, he should go about with me if he would. At any rate, if he came out of the asylum, she would put him under my care. We went together to Brattleboro, and the very day we arrived her husband was taken in an apoplectic fit from which he did not recover. She carried home his corpse, and I lost my expected patient. 
but I must have something to do for my daily support, and so I went to work and very soon sold some medicines and recipes and secured a few patients. I also visited the adjoining villages, and in a few weeks I had a very good practice. I might have lived here quietly and made money. Nobody knew anything of my former history, my marriages, or my misfortunes, and I was doing well, with a daily increasing business. And so I went on for nearly three months, gathering new acquaintances, and extending my practice every day. Then came the old tempter in a new form, and my matrimonial monomania, which I hoped was cured forever, broke out afresh. One day, at the public house where I lived, I saw a fine girl from New Hampshire with whom I became acquainted, so easily, so far she was concerned, that I ought to have been warned to have nothing to do with her. But, as usual in such cases, my common sense left me, and I was infatuated enough to fancy that I was in love. Mary Gordon was the daughter of a farmer living near Keene, New Hampshire, and was a handsome girl about twenty years of age. She was going, she told me, to visit some friends in Bennington, and would be there about a month, during which time, if I was in that vicinity, she hoped I would come and see her. We parted very lovingly, and when she had been in Bennington a few days, she wrote to me, setting a time for me to visit her, but in business in Brattleboro was too good to leave, and I so wrote to her. Whereupon, in another week, she came back to Brattleboro and proposed to finish the remainder of her visit there, thus blinding her friends at home, who would think she was all the while at Bennington. Our brief acquaintance when she was at the house before attracted no particular attention, and when she came now I told the landlord that she was my cousin, and he gave her a room and I paid her bills. The cousin business was a full cover to our intimacy. She sat next to me at the table, rode about with me to see my patients, and when I went to places nearby to sell medicines, and we were almost constantly together. Of course we were engaged to be married, and that very soon. In a fortnight after her arrival I went home with her to her father's farm near Keene, and she told her mother that we were engaged. The old folks thought they would like to know me a little better, but she said we were old friends. She knew me thoroughly and meant to marry me. There was no further objection on the part of her parents, and in the few days following she and her mother were busily engaged in preparing her clothes and outfit. I then announced my intention of returning to Brattleboro to settle up my business in that place, and she declared she would go with me. I was sure to be lonesome, she might help me about my bills, and so on. Strange as it may seem, her parents made no objection to her going, though I was to be absent a fortnight, and was not to be married till I came back. So we went together, and I had my cousin put up at the hotel we had lately left. After two weeks I was busy in making my final visits to my patients, acquaintances, she generally going with me every day. At the end of that time we went back to Keene, and in three weeks we were married in her father's house, the old folks making a great wedding for us, which was attended by all the neighbors and friends of the family. We stayed at home two weeks, and meanwhile arranged our plans for the future. We proposed to go out to Ohio, where she had some relatives, and settled down. She had seven hundred dollars in bank in Keene, which she drew, and we started on our journey. We went to Troy, where we stayed a few days, and during that time we both concluded that we would not go west, but return to Keene and live in the town instead of on the farm, so that I could open an office and practice there. 
So we went back to her home again, but before I completed my plans for settling down in Keene, Mary and I had several quarrels which were worse than mere ordinary matrimonial squabbles. Two or three young men in Keene, with whom I had become acquainted, twitted me with marrying Mary, and told me enough about her to convince me that her former life had not been altogether what it should have been. I had been too blinded by her beauty when I first saw her in Brattleboro to notice how extremely easily she was won. Her parents, too, were wonderfully willing, if not eager, to marry her to me. All these things came to me now, and we had some very lively conversations on the subject, in which the old folks joined, siding with their daughter, of course. By and by the girl went to Keene and made a complaint that she was afraid of her life, and I was brought before a magistrate and put under bonds of four hundred dollars to keep the peace. I gave a man fifty dollars to go bail for me, and then, instead of going out to the farm with Mary, I went to the hotel in Keene. The well-known character of the girl, my marriage to her, the brief honeymoon, the quarrels and the cause of the same, were all too tempting material not to be served up in a paragraph, and, as I expected and feared, out came the whole story in the keen paper. This was copied in other journals, and presently came letters to the family and to other persons in the place, giving some account of my former adventures and marriages. Of this, however, I knew nothing, till one day, while I was at the hotel, I was suddenly arrested for bigamy. But I was used to this kind of arrest by this time, and I went before the magistrate with my mind made up that I must suffer again for my matrimonial monomania. It was just after dinner when I was arrested, and the examination, which was a long one, continued till evening. Everyone in the magistrate's office was tired out with it, I especially, and so I took a favorable opportunity to leave the premises. I bolted for the door, ran downstairs, into the street, and was well out of town before the astonished magistrate, stunned constable, and amazed spectators realized that I had gone. Whether they then set out in pursuit of me I never knew. I only know they did not catch me. I ran till I came to the house of a farmer whom I had been attending for some ailment, and hurriedly narrating the situation, I offered him one hundred dollars if he would secrete me till the hue and cry was over and I could safely get away. I think he would have done it from good will, but the hundred-dollar bill I offered him made the matter sure. He put my money into his pocket, and he put me into a dark closet, not more than five feet square, and locked me in. I stayed in that man's house, never going out of doors for more than three weeks, and did my best to board out my hundred dollars. The day after my flight the whole neighborhood was searched, that is, the woods, roads, and adjacent villages. They never thought of looking in a house, particularly in a house so near the town, and, as I heard from my protector, they telegraphed and advertised far and near for me. I anticipated all this, and for this very reason I remained quietly where I was, in an unsuspected house, and with my dark closet to retire to whenever anyone came in, and gossiping neighbors coming in almost every hour kept me in that hole nearly half the time. I heard my own story told in that house at least fifty times, and in fifty different ways. At last, when I thought it was safe one night, my host harnessed up his horses and carried me some miles on my way to Concord. He drove as far as he dared, for he wanted to get back home by daylight, so that his expedition might excite no suspicion. Twenty miles away from Keene he set me down in the road, and bidding him good-bye, I began my march toward Concord. When I arrived there, almost the first man I saw in the street was a doctor from Keene. 
I did not think he saw me, but he did, as I soon found out, for while I was waiting at the depot to take the cars to the north, I was rested. The keen doctor owed me a grudge for interfering, as he deemed it, with his regular practice, and the moment he saw me he put an officer on my trail. I thought it was safe here to take the cars, for I was footsore and weary, nor did I get away from Keene as fast and as far as I wanted to. I should have succeeded but for that doctor. When the officer brought me before a justice, the doctor was a willing witness to declare that I was a fugitive from justice, and he stated the circumstances of my escape. So I was sent back to Keene under charge of the very officer who arrested me at the depot. I would not give this officer's name if I could remember it, but he was a fine fellow, and was exceedingly impressible. For instance, on our arrival at Keene, he allowed me to go to the hotel and pack my trunk to be forwarded to Meredith Bridge by express. He then handed me over to the authorities, and I was immediately taken before the magistrate from whom I had previously escaped, the Concord officer accompanying the Keene officer who had charge of me. The examination was short. I was bound over in the sum of one thousand dollars to take my trial for bigamy. On my way to jail I persuaded the Concord officer with a hundred-dollar bill which I slipped into his hand to induce the other officer to go with me to the hotel under pretense of looking after my things and getting what would be necessary for my comfort in jail. My Concord friend kept the other officer downstairs in the bar-room, I presume, while I went to my room. I put a single shirt in my pocket, the distance from my window to the ground was not more than twelve or fifteen feet, and I let myself down from the window, sill, and then dropped. I was out of the yard, into the street, and out of town in less than no time. It was already evening, and everything favored my escape. I had no idea of spending months in jail at Keene and months more, perhaps years, in the New Hampshire State Prison. All my past bitter experiences of wretched prison life urged me to flight. And fly I did. No stopping at the friendly farmers, my former refuge this time, that would be too great a risk. No showing of myself in any town or village where the telegraph might have conveyed a description of my person. I traveled night and day on foot, and more at night than during the day, taking by roads, lying by in the woods, sleeping in barns, and getting my meals in out-of-the-way farmhouses. I had plenty of money, but this kind of traveling is inexpensive, and paying twenty-five cents for one or two meals a day as I dared to get them, and sleeping in barns or under haystacks for nothing, my purse did not materially diminish. I was a good walker, and in the course of a week from the night when I left Keene I found myself in Bidford, Maine. There was some sense of security in being in another state, and here I ventured to take the cars for Portland, where I stayed two days, sending in the meantime for my trunk from Meredith Bridge and getting it by express. Of course it went to a facetious address at Meredith, and it came to me under the same name which I had registered in my hotel at Portland. I did not mean to stay there long. My departure was hastened by the advice of a man who knew me, and told he also knew my New Hampshire scrape, and that I had better leave Portland as soon as possible. Half an hour after this good advice I was on my way by cars to Canada. In Canada I stayed in different small towns near the border, and kept moving till I thought the New Hampshire matter had blown over a little, or at least till they had given me up as a gone case, and I then reappeared in Troy. End of chapter 8